Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. There is a quote by a Congolese engineer and author of self-help books that says, science can make you smart, but it does not guarantee that you'll be a good person. True wisdom is displayed through our actions, which is why we are having this conversation with Prof. Manoj Chiba. This quote can be aptly applied to Manoj. He is what can be described as whip smart, but what makes him wise too is how he uses his intelligence and skills for the betterment of society as well. Manaj is my guest today for this episode of Wisdom Personify Conversations with Dudum Somi. Thank you, Manaj, for making the time finally. It's been forever <laughs> that we've been trying to do this. Thank you so much. Um, so I've known you as an adult, so I don't know. Where did you grow up? Do you have siblings? Yeah. What were your favorite pastimes as a child? Firstly, thanks, Dudu. I think the persistence has paid off. I think it's probably, what, over two years in the making now? <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. I, I really feel privileged. Let me start there. Um, that's the first thing. Where did I grow up? I'm a Joburg boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in Lanasia, but I must be clear, I was maybe yay big. <laughs> yeah. And I say yay big because I was born premature. Uh, okay. So I was born in uh, Johannesburg. Uh, my parents were in Lanasia for... I can't remember the time, so they then probably moved before I was one years old or two years old. We moved to um, Kensington, mm-hmm. and that's where I grew up. Okay. Um, what did I do as a kid? <laughs> it's a long time to remember, but all I actually do remember is going with my dad and uh, to his business, which was in downtown Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. So he had a retail shop, and that's where I spent most of my time uh, during holidays and schooling specifically. Catch the bus from school to the shop and then go home which is quite nice. I think yeah. you've got, it was a good experience. So downtown Johannesburg is what I know quite well at the back of my hand yeah. as, as a small child. Pastimes to do, I think it's difficult with pastimes. Eh? Um, I was either speaking to people, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to sell something yeah. in my dad's shop. Uh, reading, which was something that was big. Mm-hmm. And, and playing, playing with anyone that I could get, you know, any... When I say any time with, but anyone who would give me the time to play, yeah. you know, because I think we grew up in, in a time, in a space that really forced us to say, you know, we play with whoever we can play with and whenever we can play with them. Mm. So it was good fun. Um, did I learn a lot from that, dude? I think I did. Hey? Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm hoping with my kids to give them that sort of upbringing, you know, just love for doing what you want to do sometimes but it must all be balanced yeah so that's me i must say the reading part is actually one of the commonalities with everybody that is under wisdom and i, I usually don't know that yeah. but it i find that that was one of their pastimes as children so that's a lesson um what do you think your unique value proposition is if you are not here tomorrow what would we miss about you i think my humor <laughs> I'd like to think, right? Uh, no. Especially from the scientific brain yeah. is kind of, yeah. So I think one of the big things to do for me is my unique value proposition is the ability to uncomplicate the complex. Yeah. And, and that I believe, yeah. And, and I think it's about making everything practical and human. Mm. 
it's very difficult sometimes when people think about science to think about the human side of it. Everyone thinks about, or my conception is people think about laboratories, mm. they think about petri dishes, they think about chemicals being chucked in, but they don't think about the human side. And what I learned is if you want to explain something complex, yes, you need to know it first. I think that, that's, a, that's a given yeah. foundation. But how do you connect with someone on a human level? And when you connect with them on a human level, the brain ticks. Yeah. It clicks, everything falls in place because it's about using good examples, real examples. And I think it's for me to bring the human side to whether it's going to be numbers, computers, anything. But just how do you bring the human side to it yeah. and understanding? And that for me is critical. Mm. Which is why I usually like having you at the end of the day whenever <laughs> we're having a seminar because you have a way of waking up the room. <laughs> we don't have a graveyard <laughs> shift. A that's graveyard for shift. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that's what you're very good at. So you are a principal consultant and data scientist at ATBMI Advisory. What does the advisory do and what is a data scientist? Now we're hearing it more than ever. Um, I read somewhere a question asking, is being a data scientist the sexiest job in the 21st century? What is your answer? So let me start with the last question. <laughs> so this is what the new sexy looks like, right? <laughs> so whether we like it or not, everyone yeah. else, this is the new sexy. Yeah. So. No, I think, is it the sexiest job of the 21st century? I think it is. Um, it's, we're in a new world to do. We're in an uncertain world. I think we all know, we talk about whether it's the fourth industrial revolution and people are talking about the fifth industrial revolution already. But what does it really boil down to? You can't, from my perspective, a data scientist is, is really pulling things together, different fields. Yeah. So you can't go and study to become a data scientist. Let's start there. Because yeah, you need to pull together non-traditional things together. You need to understand research and research methodology. So that's a way of thinking and scientific thinking. You need to now know how to do or play with software at least. Mm -hmm. I think we've moved out of the world of coding. Everything can be softwareized if I use that word. But everything is there now. So you've got to be able to play with the two together. And the third part to do, which is the one that makes it very difficult, is the business experience that you need or the experience. So is it the sexiest job? Yes. These data scientists around the world have started really showing value. Now think about, let's take it away from South Africa for now, but at a global level, if we think about your Amazons, your Apples, your Googles, your Facebooks or Meta, whatever we're calling it right now, you think about uh, Microsoft, they're all in this world of employing a lot of data scientists. Data scientists are hard to come by. So there's a low supply and a high demand for data scientists because as you can see, it's a skill set you can't just acquire. And that's what makes it sexy. It's the ability to understand that you're asking people to pull different things together that traditionally you would not have thought about pulling together. So we're starting to see an uptick in the number of data scientists that are required. And I think it's interesting to look at just over the last 24 months, during a COVID period when many companies were saying no hiring freeze, mm. the top jobs were still available for data scientists. They were still being given top dollar to do the work. And that's because of the business value, the bottom line impact that they can have. I talk about it from a business value perspective, revenue, profitability, but also societal impact. So there's, there's a number of groups that have formed at a global level that are looking at saying, how do we solve societal challenges from a data science perspective, yeah. making data available to these individuals. And so at ATBMI, we've taken a, a slightly different approach, is to say the data science is something that you need to build a capability internally for. Mm -hmm. 
But if you think of the data scientist today as a cake that's baked right at the end, what we help with is the ingredients to make that cake. And it's whether how do you get your data in, is it clean, where does it sit, and all of the nice technical stuff sits there. And there aren't too many people that are doing that. And so we get called in to have a look at that analytics piece, and then how do we start getting people on a journey? You know, we think about things in innovation as these big spurts, you know, jump from A to B, but actually it's a journey from A to B. And we take people on those journeys. Part of that journey requires something called a business model change. And we try and show and embed that upfront, how do you change your business models? How do you rethink about your business model from a business side, but also from a societal, whether you're a for-profit company or a not-for-profit company, how do you start thinking about how do you uh, have some bottom line value impact? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's critical. So we look at the data side and that's where we've really stuck for, the, for probably the better part of the last decade is it ebbs and flows, but largely from the data side. And then the technology is the enabler for that. Yeah. So very clear focus, very you know, clear in what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And I think that that's very important. Done work for some of the big companies and, and there's value in it. Mm. But this is not a project. This is what we, we've got to understand. People like myself and my team will go in, we'll help craft all of this, but this has to be handed over to someone. Because this is a full-time mm. thing. And, mm. and you, you come across this stuff all the time, Dudu. I get into my car from here, <clears throat> my maps opens up and it says it's going to take you five minutes to get home. Well, guess what? It's all data-driven. Yeah. You need to go from here to another place, you use your maps, data-driven. So if that's the world we're in, how do we start extracting value? So the data scientist is helping extract value out of that. Yeah. And, and is there huge potential? Look. I think it's an emerging job still. Do we have the skills, not at a South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, Africa level, global level? Mm. Probably not. Yeah. There's a huge shortage. Give you an idea, uh, to do, we, we needed in 2006, there were 385 or 84 data scientists. You'll forgive me on the, real, on, the, on the exact number. That grew by 2018 to about the requirement, the shortfall that was required at about 270,000 people. So there was a shortage. So we all actually just need to be reskilled as data scientists, basically. That's it. Okay, back to work, back to class. <laughs> you are actually living a portfolio life. Yeah. Which, for those that do not know, um, it's the term that means you have multiple interests and can apply them in a variety of fields and contexts. So, in your case, what is the overarching? theme and driver that pulls everything together that you do? Yeah, so I think we must, just with the portfolio life, I think what's very interesting about that is we often think about it as a master of none and a, you know, a, yeah. a jack of everything. Yeah. It's not that so yeah. much. There's a core and I think it's a theme. Yeah. So my theme is, is, is around that is number one value in anything I do. And I'm going to use this word quite a bit because I'm a firm believer that no matter what I do, what value am I adding? If I stop adding value, then I've got to rethink how I do things and what I do. The second thing is, is it sits quite nicely with the data and the technology, and that's it. Now, if you think about technology and you think about data, that can be applied anywhere. In, and in the context of adding value, you will craft a way of doing things. And so, for me, that's my basic ingredients, and I can make anything you want 
with those. When I say anything, there's a lot of things I will step back and say, listen, I don't see the value here. And if I stop adding value, I will step back completely. Yeah. And that, that for me is really critical. So that's the overarching theme. Is it, is it nice to have a portfolio life? I think to do, no one plans a portfolio life, or I don't think anyone plans a portfolio life. I think where we are in the world, where we are over a period of time, is we get told, you know, you must become deeply competent in one thing. Yeah. And that for me is sometimes saying, but the world changes so quickly. How? So yeah. I think Ideo was a company that really bedded this down well. They said what you need is some deep technical skill. Yeah. Now you've got to overlay it with a generalist skill. Yeah. And it's that capital T model. And at that intersection, dude, is where I love operating. Yeah. Because it allows me to zoom in, but also the ability to zoom yeah. out. And I think it's, it's taken me time. Yeah. I didn't ever think I would find a time and space where you know, you've reached a place where you're like, ah, oh, this feels right. Yeah. I always thought that that was something that never existed. But you start seeing, listen, I love waking up to do what I do. Yeah. And did I plan it? Not a chance. Yeah. I call myself an expert generalist because I believe in that. Mm. You can have people think there are no themes when you do certain things, yeah. like from strategy to leadership and governance. For me, it's integrated. Mm. I don't understand how people see silos in that, but hey. Yeah. Um, talk to me about uh, Super AI. Um, so as Musara Leadership Partners, as you know, we had a seminar and I asked you to address this topic, which said how humans can stay competitive in a world that with, of automated intelligence. Mm because I am getting kind of concerned about that. Um, and we had this around already uh, just before patient zero in South Africa, which was like March uh, 2020. How will the world be better or worse in a world of super AI? So I think do we're very far from super AI. Let me be clear. Um, we, best case scenario, best, best case, it's probably going to come up it will start making, you know, scratching the surface of it, maybe by 2060, 2070. Really? Yeah, we, we're too far away from this here. At the moment, what we are very focused on, so we must break this up. You know, we often confuse the two. We must break artificial intelligence up into artificial narrow intelligence and the super AI, which is artificial general intelligence. On narrow intelligence, a self-driving car is an example of that. So people often say, if, geez, we can get cars to drive themselves. Planes have been flying themselves for a long time. But the reality is, is I can't copy and paste the same code that I've used to fly, drive a car to fly a plane. Yet, a pilot can drive a car and fly a plane. Mm. So that's the general. Different skill can sets. You see? It's the same. Yeah. 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 So you've got to understand that by the time we can get to being able to program something with general intelligence, we're so far away, we can't do the narrow intelligence properly yet. So the general intelligence is so, so far away. Hmm. And I think people are getting very Can concerned. you understand why I like this? Because yes. I've never heard somebody explain super AI like, like that. It's, you, you, are we going to see it? No. Is it going to make ubiquitous? You know, are we going to see it in society or anywhere? Yeah. Not a chance. We're so far away. You know, this is, we're still waiting for the Jetsons to come and we must fly around in spaceships, right? Uh-huh. We thought that's what it was going to be. This is so far away. I think due to people are getting really concerned over something that is too far away. So the super AI, the AGI stuff, the artificial general intelligence. Mm. But I think a little bit of fear is good. Because what if, just what if, 
if it if I'm wrong and we don't get it in the next 60, 80 years, 100 years, what if it does happen? Sooner, yeah. Then we Then you and I need to look at ourselves. And I say this <clears throat> to everyone I see. In the morning, when you wake up and you're getting ready to do this thing called work, and I'm going to say do this thing called work because it's a verb. Yeah. When you look in the mirror, instead of saying, do I look good? Is my hair straight? Mm. And I mean, you can see all my hair, right? But you must ask yourself the question, what value am I going to add today? And you must look at yourself asking that because if you don't look at yourself, well, then guess what? The moment you stop adding value, we come and automate that. And that's the reality. Then the other part of that is, is really, we've all got opportunity, right? It's how we use it. You know, I often say, these, we, we've seen this over a period of time. You and I, when we wanted to go to a library, what did we do? Took us a whole day. We got there and we had to look in these little boxes for stuff. Now we've got access to more information than ever before at the fingertips. How are we using it? Mm. Now that's not only you and I. That's everyone who's got access to a device and internet connectivity. And this is where I start seeing it. We get worried about this. We talk a lot about it. But what are we actually doing to make sure that we ourselves are being prepared, are preparing ourselves for it? Gone are the days of people saying, Dudu, Minaj, this is what you must do. Mm. Gone are those days. We've got to take charge of our own futures as individuals and start at the individual, then society benefits, then countries benefit, and then the world benefits. So let's start thinking a little bit selfishly and say, what is going to, how is this going to play out? And the reason I'm just holding on this point today is because one of the big things in, in South Africa is access to connectivity. Now, I think we, we often get that wrong. We've got access. Everyone's got access. It's how we use that access. A few years ago, you know, we hear about free Wi-Fi that sits in the city of Tswane, Cape Town, Bromperton, all over. Government is doing their part in giving us that free Wi-Fi. When we looked at what people are using that Wi-Fi for, that's... Now, so there's, there's the rubber hitting the road now. So, social chatting. We're not, yeah, I know that. So, so I'm saying everyone's got 24 hours. AI is not going to change the 24 hours. Mm. How do you use that 24 yeah. hours? And we've got to look at ourselves in, in the mirror and really be hard about it. And that, that, for me, is what keeps us competitive against the machine. Yeah. But never forget this. Someone has to program that machine. Yeah. And that's a human. That's a human. So we still need to... No, we still, we're very far. I wouldn't panic. If I'm wrong, you would have just prepared yourself. But I can yeah. tell you now, the global consensus is we are so far away from this. It is it's too far. But rather just be prepared. Think about it. Remake yourself instead of remaking the world. I think Gandhi said that. Uh, well, not the exact quote, but the same words. <laughs> you are also the managing director of New Leaders Foundation. What does the foundation do? So we provide dashboard services to the Department of Basic Education. So the Department of Basic Education collects data on every school learner in the country. What we do is we apply an analytical lens to that and give them a dashboard to be able to start seeing who are learners at a school level throughout the entire schooling history. Is Manaj at risk based on the information that we get? So we analyze the data and we present it to the DG and everyone and say, these are your, dash- your dashboards. Mm-hmm. So this starts at a district level, a curriculum level, it's at a provincial level and at a national level. All we do is we take the data in, we analyze it, and we present it in a way that's digestible for you. You can slice it and dice it however you want. 
But our view is that if we are simply enabling you to make a data-driven decision mm. on the education sector, that's it. And we only focus on that entire, uh, the basic education sector, that's it. Once you finish school, that, that's when it falls off. Yeah. But what, because there's this big data-driven culture, is the ability to be able to say, Minaj, pause, there's something happening there. Early interventions help. Those early interventions with young people can fundamentally change the outcomes of their lives after school. Mm. And it's not based on does the teacher say yes or no, does the teacher remember who it is, what does the teacher think. It's all data driven. It's based on the information that we get. And this is being collected all the time. So this oh. is the other part of it, right? This data has been collected, it's been housed by, by, by government and the Department of Basic Education specifically. All that was required was taking the data, analyzing it and presenting it. And that's what we yeah. to make system change. Making informed decisions. South Africa has a huge unemployment rate. What is the biggest obstacle to employment in this country? And how can data science help reduce unemployment? I may be a little bit controversial here. Just over a decade ago, I thought I could help solve, and I'm going to use the word solve, mm -hmm. youth unemployment. Um, and we put together something with the National Youth Development Agency, with the private sector, as well as with government. So we got, you know, NYDA being just, you know, the, the yeah. unit. And what we saw is, it was part of the Expanded Public Works program, which I think is a good idea. But what we saw the biggest obstacle was, before even data science, was attitude. Mm -hmm. What we found to do is, it was heartbreaking. People were... It was like, you know, they got the first, let's call it the stipend. First thing was, okay, I need to do my hair, or I need to open up a clothing account. And, and that, that, so the financial literacy part is, so you've got an opportunity, yeah? And then after you do that, you learn that, that listen, this is not how I do it, I've got 12 months of this only, and you learn, listen, I need to save some, because it, I may need it for a little bit of a longer period. When we were placing people in jobs, the biggest concern or the problem that we had to do was getting people or people getting themselves on time to any of the employers. There was a big retailer that said, listen, we are willing to take 2,000 of these young people. They need to be at the store at 8 o'clock. Some of them walk in at 10 o'clock. And we can say transport, we can say all of that, but everything was provided for. So what we found was, I think, what we, what we need to go back to is a little bit of discipline and attitude. And I think those two together are going to be critical for anyone. Today, if you and I have a meeting and it's at two o'clock, we try our damnedest to make sure that we are there by two o'clock, right? If not a little earlier. We take ourselves seriously because it's our attitude. You know, we're disciplined in doing that. That's the way. And I think the young people sometimes don't have that. And I think it may be primarily because of bad experiences, but also just saying, I've got to take charge of my own future. No one is going to keep me going with this. If I pitch up at 10 o'clock, they're going to tell me, well, sorry, someone else came before you. So I think that, that sometimes misses. Can <clears throat> data science help? I think it can. There's so much of opportunity. Let me be clear. When I spoke about research methodology, you need to understand some maths and stats with some of this, uh, with the, the software, and then you need some work experience. No one's got those skills, but those are teachable skills. The business experience you get by working, that's the only thing that you really need to get by working. But there's so many, so many opportunities that sit there. You can teach people the basic maths. You can teach the basic stats that are required to become a data scientist. The rest you learn on the job. Then you can teach people how to do research methodology and they can be put into places with companies that do research all the time. Mm. 
as, as people to understand the process. Is it an opportunity? I think it's a huge opportunity. Our problem at the moment is that we are focusing on coding. Yeah. There's been a big thing, code, code, Everybody's code. Everybody's on coding, yeah. Well, I can send you three videos and in an hour you can build your own chatbot with knowing zero coding. So the world moved from a code to a no-code world. So that happened quickly because all of a sudden what happens when you don't have enough coders globally, people say, how do I make this easier for everyone else? And then they develop the software that allows you to do it. I send you three videos in an hour where you've deployed a chatbot onto your website as well as onto your Facebook page, Instagram, all your social media. You yourself, you don't need any technical coding. It's yeah. drag and drop. So that world changed. And we're still sitting and saying, okay, Let's, code, let's get lots of people to learn how to code. I'm not saying coding is not valuable, but we focused on that without understanding, well, guess yeah. what? The, the, the environment has changed. And that brings me to the other part, is if it's so easy to do, we've got to ask ourselves, what value do I bring? And this is where I think a lot of youth have an opportunity. You know, selling services like chatbot development. Mm -hmm. It's there, it's required, many companies want it, people want it, but we're just not getting there. And, and sometimes it's like, I think it's exposure to this. The other part, I think, is can data science help? Yes, again, to do. I think, what does data science give you? It gives you a set of skills on how to think. How to think critically and how to think analytically. That's it. It's the two skills you get from data science. That's it. But everyone needs. You can apply those two skills to any situation, anywhere. What we have here, we can learn how to build this, but if you can think critically and analyze problems and problem solve, you can solve the problems that may arise. Yeah, so which we, we, focus which on we cannot get if we just on social media chatting away and not learning anything new. Yeah, look at, look at our screen time. I mean, it's, it's scary. You know, and this is what I like about some of these, these, these fancy devices that we have. They give it to us. You spend 98% of your time on social media or entertainment, yeah. and 2% on productivity. Well, just imagine, you flip that around. Mm -hmm. Just imagine what yeah, would happen. I've been talking about the two-minute rule. People often, and I, and I had to teach myself this, we procrastinate, we overthink. So I said, instead of overthinking, let me start something, just do it for two minutes. Before you know it, you're well gone. Yeah. And then you realize, oh. It's part of you now. Yeah, so yeah. try it. You know, start with the productivity instead of, let me watch X thing on social media. Yeah. Let me rather just flip the equation. The world changes for yeah. you. Because we're always thinking somebody else knows better, which is why I think TED Talks and those mm. things are so key mm. to people. It's kind of like, actually, just do it yourself. I mean, that's how Wisdom Personified came about. You, you think of your own area that you want to influence, and I love people that are wise, and I like other people to find them accessible as well. So you can do these things yourself. Um, yeah, but I think we're given too many opportunities to be victims and too many opportunities for somebody to make excuses on our behalf why things are not happening. Um, and attitude, I think, is very key in terms of um, employment issues. What is the most courageous decision you've taken in your life so far and what drove you to that decision? So I think this, that question sits very nicely with, with what we were talking about just before this. Uh, I said I'll never be a victim of my circumstance, number one. And number two, I'd never say no. And then saying no and not saying no gets, sometimes you've got to be careful about that. But I said, I'll try everything. Yeah. I was given any opportunity to do something, I took it. You know, I think it's Richard Branson that said, when someone tells you to do something, you don't tell them you don't know, you say yes and you're going to figure it out. Figure it out. Well, that's the attitude yeah. we need.
that for me has been the biggest personal decision I made at the back of my mind. When And it's not about if someone says, no, you can't do it now, I'm going to go and try and do it. Yeah. Just to prove. No, it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the attitude that, that nothing's impossible. Mm. And, and you've got to embed that in your mind. Dude, if you don't embed it in your mind, you don't take opportunities when they're right in front of you. Yeah. Up front, and I think especially for young people, is up front you've got to try lots of stuff. I'll speak for myself, and I don't know about you. Uh, at 16, I needed to choose some subjects that fundamentally dictated the rest you of my life. life yeah. At 16, dude, oh. I didn't have my first chest yet. Oh, mm. I wasn't mature. Mm. I didn't have career guidance. I should have maybe gone to look for it. I went to university, luckily. But I still, was that, did I really know what I was doing? Probably not. So if you don't try these things, when you've got a little bit of time, do something different. You may find an ideal space where everything just intersects, uh, intersects and really makes a difference for you. So I think, to our point of attitude, trying. But the biggest decision I've ever made was quite simply around, I'm going to never say no, and I'm going to do. We must do. I think we talk a lot, and I think Rich coming from someone like me who earns a living out of talking, but it's about the doing as well. Yeah. Nothing, if we don't try, we'll never know. Yeah, and that, that's something we must try. And, and the thing is that I don't know why we think failure is so fatalistic. I mean, it's like, yeah, so in whose eyes anyway? I mean, I don't even like that word. We've all failed. Well, then let's put it out there. Let's yeah. laugh at it and we move along. Yeah, it's like uh, that's try. part of the experience of yeah. living. I love that about living. Um, what's your biggest insecurity? Sure. Um, so I, when I think about insecurities, is I think about them both from a personal and a professional perspective. I think the personal insecurity is, is, is towards my family. Can I make sure I can provide them with the best that I, that I, I want to provide for them? And I must say here, Dudu, I think those securities always, they don't come up often and they often pull down, you know, made easier because I've got a very strong wife. And, and I think, thankfully for her, mm-hmm. you know, that those insecurities, she, she, she knows, she sees them and she, she helps. But, you know, a big part for me is just making sure I think at a, at a very microscopic level, my family is okay, the extended family, then the community, then, you know, it builds up from there. So if I can play my little part there, that's my biggest thing is can I provide? And sometimes, you know, it's, the provision is not just financial, please. Yeah. And I think we, we, we default to financial too quickly. Do I inspire my my children to do something, whatever they want to do, you know, give them the opportunity to do it? And I think this this comes for many people in my generation specifically, to do, is is we want to give our kids the things that we never had. Yeah. Right? So we I think sometimes we're overly generous. But my biggest job is to inspire them. To tell them, listen, here's the world, let's go. Right? Yeah. And I think in South Africa we're unique. You know, where else in the world? Yes, there's Brazil probably, but very few countries in the world where you can drive down a road and on one side you've got the richest parts mm. of Santon and the other side complete abject poverty. Mm. How and the amount of learning you can get from understanding that two worlds for young children, that's what I want to give mm. them. So my insecurity there is not being able to inspire them. Mm. And so I push myself to inspire them, but I also don't want to put pressure on them. So that's my big thing from a personal perspective. Professionally, I think, you know, I often sometimes I think, am I an imposter? I think because it's like, do I deserve to be here? Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes you, you know, you've got to say to yourself, yes, I do. 
And my biggest, biggest fear is, is not adding value again. Mm. That's why I said I'll use the word value quite a bit. You know, if I speak to someone, I want them to have at least taken something positive out of me, as much as I expect that from the person I'm speaking to. If I speak to a bigger group of individuals, I also want them to say, you know, I can't satisfy everyone. That's the first thing I, I'm, I always acknowledge. But those that I can satisfy, that they walk away saying, you know what, I'm going to try the yeah. two-minute thing. I'm going to try say not say no for the next four weeks. And, and, and if I make that, that's all I need. Yeah. You know, and, and, and someone said to me the once, what they really appreciated is because of that insecurity today is that I humanize things. And, and I realize it's because of that insecurity of me adding value that I go and I, and I give my all. Mm. The art of being present in the moment for me is, is something I've learned quite well. If I'm in a meeting, I'm in that meeting. I don't connect my phone to my watch or anything like that. The phone is upside down. I'll play with it if I'm not in a meeting. But if I'm in a meeting, I'm focused. Focused, yeah. And the rest all just falls in place. But that's also just rudeness that we do that. Yeah. That we're in somebody's company and then something else is taking you. Do you how often do we do that? Yeah. If someone's talking, but you're looking there. Since COVID, I haven't yeah. been... I don't even know where my watches are. So I hope they're somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but that's the one thing, being in the moment. Mm. If you could change one thing that you've done in life that you wish you had done differently, what is it and what would you do differently? And what wisdom have you gained um, from whatever that thing is uh, now that you're looking at it today? Um, I think I was, I, w I operate on a premise of trust mm. off the bat. And, and what, I, what I've realized in some of the big mistakes is that don't, ought, don't give 100% of trust at the onset, especially in business. It can always go south. And so it's about establishing. What I've realized is the lack of that, it's about establishing a relationship to build that trust. So relationships build trust. And that, for me, mm. is a big thing that I've learned. So from a decision perspective or a mistake that I've made, it's, it's that. It largely is that to do. It's, it's, I'm overly trusting. Yeah. Um, I got a, I've got a soft side to me as well. Uh, which many people don't, they like, Manaj, you can't have a soft side, but you, everyone does, right? I feel for society, I feel for everyone else. You know, I always say, if I've got a plate of food and I see you hungry, well, take my plate of food. I'm not, it's not about, here's half, let me have a, it's about here. And I think that sometimes you've got to be careful about, because you've got to go and understand, you've got to look after yourself. If you look after yourself, everything else grows. And I think that for me is really important. Yeah. So we must think about that. I must say, the one thing I decided this year, because all my life I've, I've grown up in a family that always gives back. But as a business person, you're supposed to make your business great in order you can have more to give back. But I've integrated it so much into my business model that there could be like, so much that's pro bono and it's kind of like actually do do you need a a bigger a, a, a bigger balance than i have uh, but that's my work in progress that i, I must business first <laughs> um almost in closing but i need to ask this question what's predictive versus prescriptive and analytics and how do we de derive value from either as society 
So predictive analytics is what may happen into the future. Just think about that. So, so we, we use historical data and that in itself is the biggest problem. Because the biggest assumption in making a future prediction, predicting yeah. something to the future, is we assume that the future looks something like yeah. the past. So we, we often get it wrong when we're doing this predictive analytics quite simply because it's based on historical data. You expect the same things in the future. Yeah. Well, guess what? No one saw COVID-19 in the history historical data. So we didn't ever think that this event could have happened, right? So it wasn't impossible, but highly improbable. So we continued predicting the future. Oh, economic growth will do this, that will happen there. And then this thing comes around. So that's the first thing is what may happen into the future. We're trying to predict what people will do. And this is largely driven by the marketing field. How do you get consumers? If I get a consumer on a journey, they may want to buy X, Y, and Z. And that's been the biggest, the biggest success factors for your big tech retail companies, your platform businesses, mm. your Alibabas, your, your Amazons. You take a lot to some extent as well, but all of them are using predictive analytics. Prescriptive analytics is nothing new. We've been doing it forever. You go see your doctor. They get your history because they know you. They write you a prescription. Take three tablets for the next five days and you'll be fine. So what we're saying is that it's a decision that gets made now. So we're saying, if you see this event, these are the things that you need to do. We're very far from prescriptive. And the reason we're very far from both predictor or, or good predictive analytics and good prescriptive analytics is we're dealing with humans. Humans by nature vary. They change. You and I change the way we think, the way we do things. Just because, you know, we, we're human. And take that at, at the number of billions of people that we have around the world, it's difficult to predict that if I do X, Y will occur. The world doesn't work linearly. And understand that for the most part, analytics is about linear thinking, unfortunately. Very, non, very little non-linear techniques that we have to be able to be more accurate in predictive analytics. You come across it all the time. So, predictive, what may happen into the future. Prescriptive, well, you must do this when you get this situation yeah. very far from there. Yeah. But many fields have been using it for a long time. Yeah. I'm just wondering, because um, I always have a thing around accounting and financial statements. What is your view? And the way we uh, like use them and the, and the, and the I, I'm always fascinated at the way we look at the audit profession yeah. And these are historical... It's all historical thinking. So, And the energy we spend on it. I, I don't mind knowing what we have done, but it's sometimes I feel uncomfortable around it. Look, let's start. I think the, the audit profession is doing the same things that they've always done in a changed world with a changed business model. That's the first question that needs to be asked. The fundamentals are the finance. And I think we must all agree, regardless of the sector in finance drives the business a government, non-profit organization, anything. The problem with the finances is that it's a lagging indicator. Yeah. It's the audit is mm. past. Now, we use lagging indicators to make leading decisions. Yes. Well, they in itself is a problem. That's what I've been... But you see, you can say that. You're a scientist. <laughs> when I say that, it's like, did you? But that's the reality. <laughs> yeah. Right? That has been my I mean, issue. I watch people and they, they come up with these financial ratios. Oh, that's going to go do well. Well, not really. If the CEO says something wrong or someone else says something wrong, so anything can happen, so there's very little. Yeah. So, it, look, it's the best that we have at the moment to do. 
if we could all predict what's going to happen in the financial markets, I think, you know, we would all be, no one would be working, we'd all be on a yeah. beat, so it's the variability. So think that that's such a beautiful analogy because lagging audit statements, that's what happened in the last 12 months and you get it three months after. This is what happened 15 months ago, right? Yeah. Um, and, and But you're trying to say, okay, but no way we're taking the business into the future. Well, I think financial accounts are good for managing a business. Yes. Not for the future of the business. Oh. It's just resource allocation after that. I suppose because I'm a strategist. I just find that, yeah, okay. Exactly. Moving on. <laughs> uh, we can talk forever. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, just before we close, what legacy are you trying to leave behind? Sure. I, that is probably one of the most difficult questions. What I would, I think that's going to be, what do I want to be known for? Yeah. At the end of it, someone who reduced the complexity. And, and did I don't say that because of what I do, but really taking it away from all of these things that you and I are talking about, whether it's going to be finance, AI, day, big data, all of that stuff. I've got a core competency in a small area. How do I demystify it? If I can demystify it, and I'm hoping by demystifying it, it enables others, I've done my job then. Yeah. And I want people to say, I wish I had that guy to explain this to yeah. me. If I can do that, I've done my You know, this is why I usually plan my seminars around you. <laughs> so my next cybersecurity one, I was like, I need a date when you're available because you, it's, a, it's, it's a compelling skill that you have. It really is amazing. In closing, what wisdom would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I think to do, the environment is different. Everything's changing. Learning is something that we need to do every day. Learn one thing, and I mean, it doesn't need to be big. A conversation with someone, a conversation here, just watching people put up cameras, lights as an example, that's a learning for me. Just learn, and don't be fearful. Yeah. Be fearless. But number two for me, very important, always be respectful. Yeah. Learn, be respectful, and be fearless. Yeah, be fearless. Be fearless. Yeah. I must say the one thing that attracts me in a relationship is if I don't learn something from you, I kind of like think, okay, we're not going to go anywhere. It's done. Which explains my single word. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like I need to learn something. So this is why I think I got lucky, right? I think with my wife. Yeah. Uh, phew. She'll challenge me, hey? Yeah. yeah uh, I, I, most guys actually don't like that either. I know. No, I mustn't say I, most guys. I, Some guys don't like being challenged. I think, uh, we, uh, and I'm blessed, I suppose. I don't know what else to say, but we've got a happy home where we can challenge, we can tease, we can play, we can yeah. be serious, we can do everything. It almost feels surreal. Yeah. And, and so there's never a dull moment. And I suppose I've got kids as well, so that will never be a dull moment. Yeah. But there's never a dull moment. That's when it. they go out and everything, it's never a dull moment. That's your soulmate for sure. Yeah, and I don't think it was... Bring the just energy happened. to the side. Bring the energy to the side. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. We can speak forever. I'm so happy we finally had this conversation. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with another wise African. You can undermine him at your peril, but you certainly cannot deny the positive impact he has on our society. Until next time on Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durum Swami. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durum Swami. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. 
Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.